This is the Comstock Report podcast. We are strong advocates for the American family farm and your top source for the agriculture markets. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining us for the weekly recap podcast. Eric Relf here in Royal Iowa, joined by Joe Camp in Bloomington, Illinois. Joe, uh, we got past another USDA report. How are things looking for you today? Well, a disappointing close for the bulls, to say the least. We tried higher, and uh, at one point we're above $5 for Dees corn, that important mark. We'd reversed from being down a, you know, a dime or so to up that much for beans and then failed. And just a dud of a report, not much to go on here. The yield a little bit better than expected. The USDA, I felt like, maybe gave themselves some room. They cut some uh, demand and added imports on the soybeans. And at the end of the day, those carryout estimates uh, up by about as much as we had otherwise lost on production. So it's a wash. And uh, what was initially a friendly reaction, like I mentioned, just kind of fizzled. And we were, you know, back below almost to the cold lows, but we'll have to watch 481 for Dees corn. Still yeah. above $13 at the close for beans, so not all bad, but not uh, not a, a friendly report reaction. Yeah, I think it's funny for the listeners that don't know, uh, you and I both do a fair amount of writing for various purposes, and uh, I had titled one report today, uh, Neutral Report Shrugged Off, and you had titled another report, uh, friendly yield estimates, the focus of an otherwise neutral crop report. So I think mm-hmm. we were kind of thinking along the same lines there. Uh, I, I do think it's interesting that we had that spike up. It's almost like the algos were programmed to trigger on the yield number, and they did that on the onset. You saw corn shoot up to 507, uh, November beans up to what, 14 or 1338. Uh, you know, you're trading some pretty massive gains there for a minute, uh, and then quickly retreat. How much of this do you feel is the fact that we do trade a futures market and not a today market, and we're looking at August conditions that thus far have just been all but perfect for most in the Corn Belt and continued chances of of further rainfall and further crop acceleration uh, for what that's worth in the corn, but definitely substantial for the beans? That's got to be part of it, that we're looking ahead and uh, the forecast having improved lately. Now, we can talk about still how the model runs have dried out and warmed up again for the next couple of weeks. But at the same time, you get a report like this and it's just, you know, not very hopeful or not bullish enough that uh, we're going to see big yield cuts um, right away. And now, once this is in the rearview mirror, not for another month, but... I almost think it's more so what you touched on there when you mentioned the algorithms and and thinking that it is very much a a, a right now type of technical trade uh-huh. that got into it when the initial pop occurred. That was, I think, justified because of the lower yields being reflected, the right. first farmer surveys, the uh, chance that we'd still have uh, continued deterioration, which at least for corn, I, I would expect on the yields, and we can we can get into that in more depth. But I think that this being a farmer survey report, uh, the later reports will rely more on eventually crop scouting from the government scouts, and then uh, after that, the harvest samples, which I think will show uh, smaller 
smaller ears, you know, lower ear weights than, than the eye test can, can give you or the condition ratings or, or to the point, the farmer survey that was relied on for this report. But besides that fact, just the lack of real bullish follow through eventually turned into the negative of, of it all. And when we reversed uh, down from those initial highs, uh, the computers jumped on that and they said path of least resistance has been lower. Now let's target some of these key lows. And I mentioned for December corn, that was 481. We were a couple of cents above that for the session bottom. So maybe that's, uh, you know, still an important area of support that we're going to hold. And for soybeans, we were uh, poking just below $13, but at the end of the day, didn't stay there. So it was a run at it from the bears who had been in control leading into the numbers after the buyers failed to really push through uh, and to, to to develop that fresh run-up. I, that goes into, too, when you look at the trading volumes. For corn, not that bad, almost uh, 250,000 contracts of December traded. But when you look at the spread, almost 100,000 of that was with the nearby Septis. Right. Uh, not that heavy of a trade for November soybeans at 119,000 contracts and not that heavy for Chicago wheat, the most active contract there. So it's kind of more of the same you know, back and forth, more of a technical trade as we wait now for the real meat of it in terms of production estimates later. Yeah. Well, and to the point on the volume, I think, you know, you look at those numbers on a given day and you'd think, yeah, that was a pretty good day, you know, pretty nice volume, but not in a highly anticipated report day. So, so to your point, I think that was a little surprisingly light, which gives those algorithms and, and some of the larger speculators uh, the ability to push the market around a little bit, kind of however they see fit throughout the day. So definitely uh, uh, not a good ending to what had otherwise been a, I guess, surprisingly uh, bullish reaction. So turning to the carryout numbers, you know, I talked to a lot of people throughout the day after the report dropped and they were just, I guess, questioning me. Do you really believe we can have this kind of carry? Do you really believe that we should be following these numbers? And I guess my blanket answer is it doesn't really matter what I believe. You know, it kind of reminds me of a quote, you know, it doesn't matter what what you believe. It only matters what you can prove. And it's not proven until the USDA prints it right. Yeah, digging into those balance sheets, there were uh, revisions to demand that I thought, again, left the USDA some room to maybe cut supply later. When you look at, for corn, the reduction of exports, that's probably warranted. That takes some pressure off of what has been a sluggish pace so far for corn trade demand. We should mention the bright spot of it, that we had a daily corn sales announcement to Mexico this morning, uh, maybe turning up in terms of uh, export interest on that side of things. We know that that can still pop off for the wheat, uh, depending on what happens with Russia and Ukraine. We continue to see pretty good strings of soybean export sales demand pop up, including to China. USDA did raise the old crop Chinese soybean import estimate by a million tons. That was friendly. But again, into the domestic balance sheets, what you have is uh, some room here, especially on soybeans when you look in and see that they added imports to both the old crop and the new crop. Right. It's just like, well, what what stands to suggest that they should do that other than uh, not wanting to see that ending stocks estimate get too tight too quick. Uh, so I, I think there's still more tightening to come in general, and it's another one of those reports where uh, maybe they were more aggressive than uh, most had anticipated on yield, but they made up for that 
in being pretty conservative on uh, the other side of the equation uh, in demand and also by not changing much um, else on on the global balance sheets either. Yeah, I was a little surprised when when you kind of dig into the state by state and country by country numbers, whether you're looking at the U.S. or the global balance sheet. But uh, were, were you a little surprised by the expectations for Ukraine for this season? I was uh, that we observed a big uh, 20% higher, actually, uh, wheat production estimate for Ukraine. But that did follow what was so bearish last week when uh, the, one of the local sources from Ukraine uh, really raised their production estimates, citing better than expected yields. So maybe that's the case. Sure. The USDA okay. has been pretty aggressive on uh, expecting a lot of trade still to come out of that region. And for now, they've been right that all of these headlines with all of the attacks on grain facilities and the back and forth skirmishes in the Black Sea, there hasn't been a material uh, uh, downside run for actual volumes leaving that. And instead, it just continues to uh, actually cheapen the price uh, so countries like Russia can dump that cheap wheat into the market and, and so that we can't yet have any real follow through on better U.S. trade demand. I think that's still something that changes, though, eventually going forward. And it is important because we look at Russia and Ukraine together, they're still combined uh, projected to account for 20 percent of the world's corn and wheat exports. So yeah. it's, a, it's a big deal and something that could change here pretty quickly. Well, and and two, you know, we're talking about this and we're we're looking at closes that uh, I've been printing support levels for Chicago and KC wheat at 622 and 750 respectively, and we finish less than a nickel off of those levels or right about a nickel off of those levels in both classes uh, for those September contracts. So we are definitely down at the bottom of the barrel, at least for you know recent trade levels. And, and testing these support levels and always with the wheat market, you're one supportive headline away out of the black sea uh, of shooting higher. And after the drawback that we've seen in recent weeks and nothing would surprise me, I guess I would like to turn to livestock a little bit. Cash cattle across the five area feeding. Well, we say five area feeding region. Colorado never reports anything. So across the four major reporting areas, Texas, Kansas, Iowa, and Nebraska, we had a broad spectrum uh, up to today, at least as we're recording this. Uh, we've seen Iowa trade $3 higher in both live and dress trade. Uh, Nebraska holding steady with last week at 295 dressed, while Kansas and Texas remain in a standoff between packers and feeders. Uh, packers out there offering 177 feeders continue asking 182 and no real reportable trade there was a few little numbers of some 186 in kansas yesterday late but nothing to set the market yet i know we all have clients that are in various livestock industry and what are you kind of hearing what's the sentiment of your cattle people i heard some uh, better Bids accepted here today, 295 dress, like you mentioned, which uh, for the area was a couple bucks up on last week, but it did sound like, uh, you know, lighter to develop this week again. And as you mentioned, a standoff still, uh, but what a resilient market overall. When oh, you it's talk unreal. About, and justified because of what we're seeing and just simply lighter, you know, fat cattle offerings available to a market where Packer margins have slipped, but yet they're robust enough with 
demand by all accounts running really firm into the end of the summer here. You look at the slaughter pace and how far we've been under a year ago, not a real huge uptick in carcass weights. Uh, so, you know, the, the seller should still remain in control, but you look at the price action of it all and we saw the board close lower today, even with the corn down. And it does, like we talked about last week, you know, look like something that may be a little long in the tooth or tired. Um, yeah. But, I mean, how many weeks in a row can we say that, though? I've felt that way about the, the futures for a long time. And as long as, at least on the live cattle end, they're discounted to what we're seeing paid in the cash, then uh, there shouldn't be a significant break, even though we could see a little bit of weakness yet heading into next week, I believe. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think, you know, the the market, the futures market is primed for a little bit of a setback, and we could see that early week. But, yeah, it just absolutely no quit. And no matter how you look at it as a technician, you would think, okay, we, we need a meaningful setback at some point, and we continue to just keep marching. And it's one of the most defined uptrends in the history of ag commodities when you look at a, a longer-term chart. And it, it doesn't really matter what contract month you choose and whether it's fed or feed or feeder cattle. It's just an impressive market. Now, adversely, I guess we better mention hogs, uh, not nearly as impressive. And, you know, I, I think there's just a fear of what kind of numbers we're going to see coming out of the third quarter into the fourth quarter. And we're seeing that reflected on these deferred contracts. Yes, the August still holding up. It's going to expire next week and converge with a cash market that is still above a hundred dollars. Uh, but you see the big discounts down and, and maybe they are seasonally justified here. Uh, we know that eventually we can feel the pressure from this recent sow herd liquidation, uh, but it's not yet. I guess the other end of it demand we can be pretty positive about the. Cheaper prices having finally flowed through to the consumer and there being some response there. Pork sure. exports, that's a positive storyline. They're at a record pace, uh, whether it's on the account of volume shipped or revenue. So that's helping stocks from building in a, in a market where the domestic consumer, like I mentioned, is um, doing its fair share. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how to feel about this uh, hog market when you have such a huge spread difference between the months. I um, have been, you know, somewhat defensive or wanting to be uh, bearish on the front end and, and bullish on the back end. And that just hasn't been right so far. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it you know, you could pick a different side each day and you might be right each day. Uh, and so it definitely has not been a trending market. And until we see something substantial, especially if we see some resolution on how we're going to deal with Massachusetts and California and and what does that look like from an overall demand side? Because I think we've talked about they make up 17 percent of the pork demand domestically. So, you know, you're you're dealing with some big situations there that still need to sort themselves out in the coming months. So before we finish, I want to talk about some outside influence. And I thought you had some pretty good perspective in your market focus piece that you did this week with regards to consumer pricing, plaguing commodity. Uh, maybe just take a minute to touch on that. We did have the consumer price index report here this week. It was up at an annualized three and a half percent and up over last month following 12 straight months of lower readings. Now they're lower uh, month on month, but still higher for the year. So inflation's still a problem, but digging into it, one thing that's positive, if there's something to be 
uh, happy about there. It's that the housing and the rent prices uh, were what contributed to the inflation rate here and have been the, the bigger source of it. So if we strip those out and we know that those are sort of lagging indicators, we don't quite have the same pressure on inflation that's being caused by food and energy, which maybe still leaves some room that uh, there could be bullishness in the commodity space returning uh, over this economy being allowed to, if you will, heat up again. But that's always something we've got to worry about is if inflation stays persistently high, that the commodities as a whole are going to be a target of the Federal Reserve and that they're going to keep interest rates higher for longer, that that props up the dollar and causes issues not just with speculative demand, but back into terms of trade and exports and all of that. So I don't know. I, I guess I still want to be a, a bullish overall about the economy and think that inflation issues aren't behind us just yet, but that that can actually be a positive thing overall down the road for commodities and grains and livestock included. Yeah, I think we might turn that corner coming in towards the end of the year or, or you know, first of next year or something. I, I guess timing-wise, I would kind of expect to see some real results by end of first quarter, start of second quarter next year. Maybe then we can see some light at the end of the tunnel and perhaps by then have ceased these rate increases and, and have a little bit more level playing field. Well, if you don't have anything else, Joe, I think that's all we need to cover for this week. Now back to the normal watch the weather type of weekend, and and that'll be the determination of how we open, I'm sure, Sunday night, and we'll go from there. That sounds good. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you next week on the Weekly Recap. For a more complete version of the Comstock Report with hedging strategies and trade recommendations, subscribe on our website at Comstock.com. Or reach out to one of our risk management specialists about how we can help you protect your profits. Futures trading involves risk. The risk of loss in trading futures and or options is substantial, and each investor and or trader must consider whether this is a suitable investment. Past performance is not indicative of future results.